her was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And who are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, So if you have uh, carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, and Rabboni, which means teacher. So Mary came to the tomb expecting things to be fine, not where they were left at the cross. Jesus breathing his last breath, taking her beloved Savior off the cross, seeing him placed in that tomb, and her expectation, reading about her faith, is, is that Jesus is dead, that this is over. And this is a really powerful moment for Mary, because we don't really know why she's struggling as much, but maybe it's still that old carrier from her life, because what we learn about Mary Madeline's story is that she was a prostitute, that she was demon possessed, and, and she knew that she was far away from God, very, very far away from God. And then she met Jesus, and Jesus called her by name, and Jesus healed her, and Jesus forgave her, and restored her, and gave her this incredible relationship with him. But I think that at times we still carry, like Mary does, the weight of our sin with us in our relationship with God. I mean, we can acknowledge in our heads that God is forgiven and that it's finished, but we know that on the inside we still struggle. And she's caught in that human experience. And she's looking at saying, you know what? My sin has killed Jesus. I see the incredible offer of grace. Where they laid in his ministry. And it's interesting, she's asked a couple times, why are you weeping and who are you seeking? And for Mary, she doesn't even recognize Jesus when she looks him in the face because her expectations are in the way. Jesus has not shown up in the way that she has And when Jesus calls her name, when he first offered her salvation, Jesus calls her name again. And she recognizes who he is. And for me, in that moment, she came to realize that Jesus is greater than her expectations. And as we continue reading in the passage, we realize that Mary at this point embraces Jesus and clings so tightly to him that he eventually has to say, Mary, you have to let me go. Don't cling to yourself, so you gotta let me go. Because I have not yet ascended to the Father, and, and I've got to tell the other disciples what God wants to do in your life. And so this is Mary. So when she, when she finally realizes that God is greater than her expectations, she finds peace. So Mary goes to the tomb and works through all of the emotions and all of the baggage and all of the questions she spends with her there and ultimately finds peace. And this is what God offers to us. The next thing we can expect to find in the empty tomb is that Jesus is standing in our shame. And this is where we find Peter's encounter at the tomb. Right? So Mary goes and she says, hey, listen, Peter and John, they've taken Jesus. She goes back to the upper room. So Peter and John leave the upper room. The other disciples stay there. And, and Mary run back to the tomb. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 20, verse 4. So Peter went out with the, older, the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face of the cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not 
along with the linen cloth, but folded it up in a place by itself. And so he goes into the tomb. You know, John, you know, later on the passage, the other disciples, John said, you guys didn't see things. And look, Peter barges in. He's taking in everything. He sees that the, the burial cloth there, that the, the face cloth that was on Jesus' head was laid for that neatly. And he begins to realize what happens. And then he starts to process that Jesus is a bit. And you know what happens? He goes on that he left the tomb marveling over what he had seen. But you also have to remember that the last time that, Jesus, uh, that Peter saw Jesus, it wasn't a great thing. Because, see, when Jesus was in the, the religious trial and being beaten by the, the, the temple officers and the beard being pulled from his face and spitting on him, and, and Peter made this promise that earlier in the night that he was not going to forsake Jesus, that he was going to go with him to the death, and Jesus said, Listen, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And sure enough, he did it. And the third time that he denied Christ, the Bible teaches us in the book of Luke that Jesus looked at Peter. He denied Christ within eyesight and earsight of Christ. And that was the last view that, that Peter had in his mind. So now, if Christ is alive, there's the potential that I'm going to see him again. And you can imagine the overwhelming shame and guilt of a broken soul. And so, what does Peter do in these next couple of weeks? Well, he and some of the other disciples go back to what they were doing before they found, before they met Jesus. So, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples, the Peter and six disciples, were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said, I'm going to go with you. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night, they had nothing. We learned that as they're fishing um, that night, they spent all night with dawn. Jesus stands on the shore and he says, Hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they cast their nets on the other side of the boat and they bring in a huge haul of fish. This is the second time that this has happened because when Peter first met Jesus and first recognized him as the Messiah, that's exactly what Peter was doing. He was fishing, talking about the whole night. Jesus comes and tells him, that time to throw his neck on the other side. He's like, I've been doing this all night, but I don't need you. I'll throw it on the other side. He threw it on the other side and pulled in a huge, uh, you know, a boatload of fish. And he recognized that he was in the presence of the Messiah. And so here's Peter in complete remorse, all the way back to the beginning of his journey. And when they got to the land, you know, so he recognized that Jesus on the shore, they catch the fish, he swims back to shore, he doesn't even wait to come back in, he gets back to shore, and he saw that there was a charcoal fire in place. Why this is important is because this is the exact kind of fire, not a wood fire, but a charcoal fire that was burning in the temple court where Peter denied Jesus. So he goes right back to the place where his shame entered into his life. And then with fish laid out, and bread, Jesus said, I'm coming and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Don't feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, Peace, my 
my feet. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? Each time that Peter denied Christ across that fire, he's now sitting in front of Christ, acknowledging that denial, but being asked, do you love me, Peter? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. Peter found something incredible here. Because see, what we don't see in the English language, which is present in the original language of the, the New Testament, is the different words for the word love, the different definitions that go along with it. So when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, listen, do you love me? He says, hey, Peter, do you, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you, do you love me? 100% love me? And, and Peter's like, Jesus, you know I love you. You know that I you know that I'm all in there. And Jesus asked for the second time, you know, do you adopt me? Do you, do you love me unconditionally? And he said, Lord, you know that I love you with 50% of the love. Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me with a 50% of the love? And Peter and say, Lord, you know everything. Notice that the impulsive Peter doesn't make a promise here. He is simply the Lord is God, and you know that you love me to the best of my ability. And to Jesus, that was enough. What did Peter find at the end of the period? He found hope. Hope for overcome. Jesus in one day done on the cross and the fact that he was alive and risen from the dead offers us hope that is greater than anything. The other thing that we find with Anthony Kuhn is from John's encounter and we realize that Jesus is greater than our insecurities. And so again, we know that Peter and John were the two guys that ran back with Mary to see the tomb. And so Peter went off with the other disciples, said in verse 2, and they were going toward the gym, the both of them were running together, but the other disciple, after him, Peter, and he reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. You know, it's interesting that you notice that John is always referred to Paul as a person, the other disciple, the disciple who Jesus has loved. John, this John here is the guy that Jesus used to write uh, this book in the Bible. So this is John's eyewitness account. So John is writing about his walk with God, his experience with God, and, and, and how God saw him, you know, kind of from third person. He's not willing to personify or own it. And it's really important for us to hold on to because going on, then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and faced off, which had been that Jesus had had no claim with the linen cloth, but fully definite comes by itself. And then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. So here we have John, who we know is one of the only disciples to walk with Jesus through the entire crucifixion event, so the 12 hours of trial, flogging, and eventually the crucifixion. 
being overwhelmed. Can you imagine watching all of this stuff come down in real time? We've seen videos, you know, pictures of this that I've shared over the last couple of weeks, and you know how heavy this fits on the heart. But to see this in, you know, in person with all of the sounds and sights and smells that go along with it, and watching this whole thing go down. So it's like John is always coming from a distance. He's watching, he's observing, he's processing, he goes to the kingdom, he gets there first, even though he's there first, he doesn't go in, he just speaks to him. And it takes Peter's boldness to go at first before John will actually fall in. John has all kinds of insecurities, and he's processing the immense weight of what Jesus has done, the immense weight that Jesus is alive and can hear into the human soul. He's processing that and being overwhelmed by all those emotions. And he allows his insecurity, his own sense of worth, to keep him out of it. What's also incredible, as we read back over this, the book also says, why did he call himself the other disciple? Why would he refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Because that's exactly what he found at the tomb. And he's dealing with all that he was walking with God and all of his insecurities and not feeling like he was ever alone. Not fully realizing what God did was. And I believe that the reason that John refers to himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved wasn't because of arrogance, because he thought he was the only disciple that Jesus loved. Not that he was Jesus' favorite disciple. Not that or any of those ideas. I think he came back and the ultimate identity of his life became the fact that God loved him and he was willing to lose all other identities in exchange for him. He no longer wanted to be done. It was enough that he was the disciple, the follower of Jesus. So much of our insecurities, all of us striving to accomplish and to validate ourselves and to get other people to validate us. We started with the simple thing that God loved us just as we He found us at the tomb. He hung out for a little while. He spent a little extra time. The next thing we see is that Jesus is greater than our doubt. This is Thomas' encounter with Jesus. Thomas doesn't even go to the tomb. He's not even in the upper room on the first day of the week. So a whole week has passed before Thomas even connects with Jesus. We see that Thomas, one of the twelve called twin, is not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails and place my fingers into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see and unless I touch, I'm not going to believe. And so he has this disbelief, this unwillingness to believe unless I can have it proven to me, unless I can put my hands into his wounds. He, he's not taking anybody else's word for it or anybody else's testimony for it. He is, he is living in with that. 
few days later, Jesus and his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Which is a really important thing to say because you're standing in up a room and somebody walks through a wall, you're going to need a little peace, right? And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. What's really incredible about this, the two things I want you to take away, is that Jesus knew Thomas' doubts, and Thomas didn't even have to bring his doubts to Jesus. That's why Thomas didn't need to step into and say, you know, I'm only going to believe about the text and put my hand in it. Jesus knew what his question was, and what's incredible about Jesus is that he will meet us at our point of doubt. And so Thomas had a choice, and he's standing in front of Christ. He can dig his heels in, or he can embrace Christ. In fact, the guy is doing something. And he said, do not listen. Do not be willfully doubtful and believe. Jesus isn't condemning Thomas for having questions, but what he's saying is that there's a fine line between skepticism and cynicism. Thomas is on a cynical side of things. It's one thing to have doubts and say, I'm not going to explore, I don't care, I'm not getting involved, and if the impossible happens, I refuse to do it. And what's even more incredible than that is that even in those moments, God shows up and gives us that. You ever done the healing thing? So God, I'm not going to trust you unless you do this. I'm just putting no effort in the final research. But Jesus was still willing to confront him on his own. And he brought him right back to the events of the cross and resurrection to Easter. From the hardest of hearts, anyone who's willing to dig into this truth becomes really difficult enough to believe. God is inviting people with faith to come and take an honest look at him. Because he knows that if you have that honest faith, you will discover faith. That's what comes from it. You know, you're eventually homeless with writing for this faith. But there's no more disbelief. Last thing that you find is that Jesus is greater than I have kept the story. And this is the rest of the disciples that we haven't really mentioned. And they're telling Jesus. Again, they're very a group of disciples that heard that Jesus finished to the dead. And not, you know, some of them just stayed in there for a reason. They just hung out there. You know, John ran back, Mary, and, and the other women ran back. And, you know, but they didn't go there. And it took Jesus coming to the upper room to reveal skepticism. Or skepticism. That was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to be an idle tale to them. And they did not believe them. 
again, two men on the road to Emmaus came to them and told them that they encountered Jesus and the hope of the resurrection. So they in the upper room debating and asking questions and, and blowing everybody's testimony on. And they were talking about these things. Jesus then stood among them and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were from a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. The spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, uh, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? So, no matter where you are on the questions of the resurrection, how firm your faith is, and how critical and skeptical you are, I invite you to explore. For those that don't want to come to the tomb, God wants the tomb to come to them. This is the power of the resurrection that God still pursues humanity everywhere. He meets us with our doubts and our fears and our questions and our insecurities. He invites us to explore him, to know him, to follow him. And this belief went from all my doubts to I can't believe it's only some voices. I think they're Christians. And we know that these men and women live from faith to force in a culture that didn't embrace it at all. So then, the disciples found truth and life at the tomb. I don't want to leave it here, but tell us the story of this podcast in number 113. I want you to wrap it up. I saw the crucifixion. They came to Jesus Christ and then the first one went to the earth and came to John. They heard from the two men on the road to Emmaus. Jesus did 500 people at one time. Word started to spread that Jesus is alive and never went to the tomb. The disbelief kept them from exploring the claims of Jesus in the world. They had their questions and they sat with their skepticism and their questions and never did anything with it and they allowed it to keep them company. And still Jesus approached them and invited them to explore who he is. What about you and I? Do we do that? Do we really realize that we can venture close to God because of what he's done in the cross? and the fact that he's risen from the dead. Will we take him up on your offer to look into the empty tomb to see what we're for? Will you hang around the empty tomb for a while to work through your unmet expectations of find peace and what can you stay in this place? To work out your insecurities and realize your love. This is the last of the resurrection.
It's really easy for us to come to church on these two. And you can't stay in the bathroom, right? What we're talking about today is that Jesus wants to go with you for you. He wants to be a part of your daily routine. He wants to be a part of your daily routine. He wants to be a part of your We ask them to know that we need not just Jesus, but we need other Christians. And so, this time, it's time to encourage the world and remind them that they're just doing their story. They need to come together to process what this incredible truth means and say it in love. But that's what we're trying to do here. So, to extend a little further to you today, Would you step into this idea that God wants a growing relationship with you? He wants to take you to the next level wherever you are in your walk with Him. And you'd be willing to give this place a chance and you can do that. Because that's what you He said, if you know Jesus, then you can walk with Him. My question for you is that you get in this moment of the world and the world that Jesus is present in your life. 